Well, in case it hasn't already been abundantly obvious, today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, by the words that we're singing this morning, the altar clause that you see before you, uh, Pentecost is the final day in Easter. So if you ever tried to do the math, I said last week, uh, Lent is 40 days long and Easter is 50 days long, and we celebrated seven weeks of Easter. Carry the one, 49, 50 is today. Pentecost Sunday is the 50th day, the 50th and final day of Easter, when we celebrate the coming of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, something new came into existence. We call it the church, Christ's body here on earth, enlivened and empowered by God's own Spirit. And of course, Amy and I remember Pentecost is when three years ago, by the Holy Spirit, we received a call to join you as your pastors. So a quick story about Amy. This will lead up to why she's not here today. Um, as you know, Amy and I, I think you know, Amy and I met at Fuller Seminary. So I had graduated uh, and I was working for a degree program that Amy was in. I had access to all of her school records. It was phenomenal. Uh, that degree program that she was in was called the Master of Arts in Global Leadership. And we honestly, uh, she would admit this if she were here this morning, we had eyes for each other early on when we kind of first met one another. But Amy, as Amy tells the story, she didn't think that we could possibly be together on account of my sense of being called to serve the local church. Now that should maybe strike you as a little bit funny, but as a world traveler and as a missionary, she had convinced herself that she just couldn't be with someone who fit the typical mold of a typical pastor. It wasn't in her mind. But as we got to know each other, she soon discovered that not only do I also love to travel all across the world, um, but that I also thought of myself first and foremost as a missionary. That's how I understood who I was and God's call on my life. It was just that the mission field I felt most led to engage was that of the local church of the United States. Like I saw that as a mission field. I still do. So I share that story because of how it finds expression today. Because missionaries are people who look to take the good news that they've received and share it with other people to bless them and strengthen them and call them closer to the heart and to the love of God. This is what missionaries do. Missionaries are not first and foremost caretakers, but they're vessels of divine gifts, ambassadors of Christ's kingdom. So this morning, Amy's expressing that call, her sense of being a missionary, uh, in receiving an invitation to be a guest preacher at River Tree Lake in Hartville. She got to do this twice. They have two services on Sunday morning, several hundred people, part of that church. Uh, and so she texted me a little bit ago, and she's like, one down, one to go. <laughs> she's over there preaching this morning. At the same time, this week, as I was preparing to preach this morning, I, here's the question I kept asking myself. How have I come to understand the Holy Spirit, and all that it means to live my life under his power and direction and not my own. Like I say that that's true, but I kept wondering, how was it that that came to be true in my life? And what I kept coming back to was the teaching and example of my friend and the gentleman who now serves as my bishop, Todd Hunter. More than anyone else, Todd is the one who's taught me and shown me what it means not not merely to be a devoted follower of Jesus, but more than that, to be one who is constantly attentive to the voice 
and the leading of God, the Holy Spirit. Todd is the one who's done that for me. As Jim already mentioned yesterday, we held a memorial for Joe Gilead, and Jim and Sandy, when they were there, they both briefly shared and noted what a stellar example of Christ-like service and sacrifice they had always seen in Joe. Sandy said several times, there's just no better Christian than Joe Gilead. And I'm sure that that's true. He was, I'm sure he was an amazing man. And I just want to say, I feel that same way about Todd when it comes to being an example of, a Christ-like example of living a life in the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think, you ask yourself the question, what does it mean to live a life in the Holy Spirit? Todd is the one who's taught me most about that and show me that. Then I discovered that Todd had recorded a sermon specifically for Pentecost Sunday, which I'm going to want to share with you this morning. So I want to read two texts that he's primarily addressing from, drawing from in his sermon, uh, and then in good missionary fashion, what I want to do is I want to pass on to you a measure of the good news that I myself have received from knowing and learning from Todd. So let me do this. Let me read Acts 2. This is the perennial text on Pentecost when we read these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. You guys know all these places, right? Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans, before we used that as a slur, as a slang, there were good people called Cretans from Crete. And Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Isn't that just the funniest line ever? They're looking around at everything that's going on, and all they can deduce is not that God's doing something, not that something divine and miraculous is happening, but they've been hitting the sauce a little too early. That's where we start in Acts 2. And then Todd's also going to draw from John 20 verses 19 to 23. So think about that for a second. This is the outpouring of the Spirit that happens at Pentecost in the book of Acts. This is what Jesus, now we're kind of going backwards and thinking about what Jesus had in mind as he's with his disciples, and he's trying to prepare them for what's to come. He says this, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them 
And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, uh, so uh, I want to turn this over to Todd and allow him to fill part of our sermon time this morning. And then when I come back up, I'll have just a closing thoughts. I'll lead us into our a prayer of response, uh, prayers of the people this morning, and to communion that we'll celebrate as well. Um, but as we're listening to the sermon together this morning from Todd, I just want you to know the first thing I'm going to do when I come back up is ask you, uh, what struck you about this? What stood out to you, and what are you going to take away? So... Take good mental notes. Hey, I am Todd Hunter. It is great to be with you today, wherever you are in America. Maybe you're watching in the morning. Maybe you guys meet in the afternoon. Maybe you meet in the evening. Uh, wherever you are, whatever time it is, it's really great for me to be with you today on Pentecost Sunday. As I was thinking about our time together today, it made me think of the Pentecost Sundays that we enjoyed at the church that I started in Costa Mesa, California, a Holy Trinity Anglican Church. And I was just reviewing all my notes from 10 years of doing Pentecost there and remembering how when the message was over, we would all stand together and around the church, pray for each other to receive a fresh touch or a fresh infilling, whatever language you might use of the Holy Spirit, and those are really great memories. We can't do that today, obviously. I can't, like, reach out and touch you, and we can't reach out and touch each other, but, uh, but I hope this morning that as we do some work here together about the person and work of the Spirit, that you will indeed experience something fresh from Him. So we tend to think of the filling of the Holy Spirit as kind of like a supercharged Christianity, you know, something that we might say that dry Christians need, or I don't know if anybody even uses the term lukewarm anymore, but the lukewarm Christians need. But if we just look at the story in Acts, there's nothing wrong with the disciples before Pentecost. They're praying and worshiping and joyful followers of the risen and ascended Jesus. They're not in some sort of bad state. They were just simply told to wait until they had received the promise of the Father before they went out and started their ministry. So they're just simply awaiting further instructions and then the power to carry out those instructions. So when we think of the sending of the Spirit, the, the person and work of the Spirit, it's the Spirit that creates and animates the church that Jesus called, picture him calling people to himself, and the church that he saved. And there's no other source for this animation or this creating of the church except for the Spirit. But I've been around the block long enough to know that lots of pre-judgments exist about the Spirit. Most people have a fear of excess. There's this sort of um, uh, fear of like Pentecostal excess. And I don't mean that to be unkind to Pentecostals. I am very fond of Pentecostals. Or excess that comes from charismatic churches or something. And again, I am not at all upset with charismatic churches. And I get that. I get that people can be afraid of these sort of iconic or, you know, stereotypical um, mindsets of excess that we might have. And I really get how reasonable people read Acts 2 and wonder, what the heck does that mean? Uh, like, what does it have to do to us today in this world of Bluetooth and, and being with each other all over America through an iPhone? Like, what is cloven tongues of fire and sound of mighty rushing wind? Like, it's like, what does that have to do with anything? I get how reasonable people cannot connect the dots from that to today. 
Or maybe they read the gift lists that Paul lists in Ephesians and Romans and 1 Corinthians and just wonder, I, I don't know. I don't see those gifts in operation. I don't know exactly what they mean. It, you know, sort of, again, that's for maybe really super spiritual Christians or something. I really get all that. But even if you grant that, we're still left with like our passage today in the gospel reading and what's known as the whole upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, but especially John 14 and 15 and 16. When Jesus talks a great deal about the Holy Spirit, you just have to ask yourself, the Jesus that you say you love and that I would assume you say is smart, it's Jesus who said things like, it's better if I go away because if I go away, the Spirit will come. Or when the Spirit comes, he'll lead you in all truth. So you just, to get over your fear of excess, I think you have to make your way to the Spirit through Jesus. Don't try to make your way to the person and work of the Spirit through denominations or aspects of Christianity. You'll likely never make it. But if you can just come to think that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that the Spirit was central to the age of the church, then maybe we can get somewhere. So you might not have clarity on when someone is filled with the Spirit, right? Lots of controversy about that. Is it conversion or second work of the Spirit, that kind of language? You may not be certain about how the Spirit comes. Like, you know, well, Pentecostals say you have to speak in tongues. That's the, you know, that's the, uh, that's the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You might not be clear about any of that, and you don't have to be. But I think we all should have clarity about this. Is my life inspired by the Holy Spirit. That has nothing to do with denominations or aspects of Christianity. But just to ask ourselves with all gentle but spiritual honesty, is my life inspired by the Spirit as was promised by the Father and was taught by Jesus? So again, let me just underscore, when we're thinking about the Spirit, we're not talking about picking a denomination. And we're not talking about picking a flavor of Christianity. We're talking about God Almighty, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And when we relegate him to something that feels like a religious consumer choice, that maybe goes like this. Well, I'm really Presbyterian, but I suppose I want a little bit of charismaticness in my life. Or, you know, I'm really Lutheran, but I suppose I want a little bit of the Spirit. I just hope you can see that that is like, rude in the extreme. You're talking about the third person of the Trinity. You're talking about Almighty God, God the Holy Spirit. And you don't say to him, well, I'll just take a little bit of you because really I don't get you and I don't think I really trust you. We have to move on from that somehow. So I think the overall truth to be considered on Pentecost is this, that the purposes of God in a fully orbed discipleship to Jesus requires a power that matches that intention. Let me say that again. The big idea is that the purposes of God in and through the church, this sort of full orb discipleship to Jesus, that intention requires a power that matches that intention. Jesus is picturing something like that when he says, that out of his followers would come gushing torrents of living water, you know, that would bring life to the friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and schoolmates around them. And then it says in John 7, Jesus said this in regard to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. 
The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So think of the good you want to do in the world. How would you like it if out of your inner core being was daily gushing these rivers of living water that brought life to others? Well, again, it's Jesus himself who's saying that happens through the Spirit. Or what about Luke 24, 49? This is a major hinge point in the biblical narrative where Jesus says to his first followers, wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, why did he tell them to wait? What were they lacking? What, what was the one thing that they were supposed to get? They were supposed to get what the promise, what the Father had promised. The infilling, the baptism, the reception of the Holy Spirit. And that that would change everything. In the same way, uh, electricity changed everything, right? I mean, none of us can even imagine before electricity. Um, but my friend Dallas Willard used to love to tell stories of growing up in very rural southern Missouri uh, before they had electricity. When electricity finally came out to their little town, he would tell stories about how women, you know, quit beating rugs and, you know, got a hoover. And it just literally changed everything. It literally allowed day to come into the night where you could plug in a lamp and you could have daytime in your living room instead of the night. That kind of thing is what Jesus is imagining here is that at the reception of the Spirit, something would happen that would change everything. Eugene Peterson, not known as a, you know, sort of a crazy charismatic, said that the Holy Spirit forms the church to be a colony of heaven on earth, a people who are a witness to the already inaugurated kingdom of God. That is to say that as the church lives in this animated relationship with the person and work of the Spirit, we're then given the power to point to or witness to the life of the kingdom that's around us all the time. Eugene says that the Holy Spirit forms the Jesus life in us. So that Eugene says, this is beautiful to me, Acts is not just true, but Acts is livable. So that Pentecost is meant to be seen as the moment when the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples, just picture that with me for a second, the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples. At Pentecost, that presence is translated into the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. That's the big move of Pentecost. So that Pentecost then signals the mode or the means in which by God is putting his power and authority into operation in this unveiling of the kingdom in his people as this new world is being born through them. And that's why we have these descriptions in the book of Acts. I think it helps us imagine what this would be like in our reading in Acts 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 says the Holy Spirit was given by God to those who obey him. So think here not, well, I'm morally good enough to receive the Spirit. Think of something more like alignment. Those who really want the Jesus life birthed in them so that they can continue in this Jesus kingdom movement, those who have their, that imagination about themselves, that I want to be the kind of person who my life is aligned to the purposes of Jesus and his kingdom in me, is to those sorts of people that the spirit comes alive in them. Or Acts 13 says, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And of course, you probably remember these Pauline things where um, Paul says to the Ephesians, be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the greatest gifts. Or Paul said, I wish all of you could prophesy. Well, again, it, it would be, I think, totally wrong to think of Paul as some sort of 
modern charismatic or Pentecostal stereotype with which we might want to reject. But, think, but just think of the Apostle Paul, the, you know, the, the writer of all these uh, letters and documents in the New Testament. Why would he want people to prophesy? Prophesy just simply means seeing things from God's angle. So just hear Paul saying, I wish through the Spirit all of you could just see things the way God sees it. And sometimes that's foretelling the future. Sometimes it's just foretelling what's real. But that's what Paul's getting at. He's not trying to be a charismatic. He's trying to help the church see themselves as being armed and equipped by the Spirit to do what the Spirit wants to do in and through the church. So lastly, let's take a minute and look at our reading in John 20. I think this shows us how to get in on the story of the person and work of the Spirit. Let's just take this uh, kind of a phrase at a time. First, Jesus says, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that word there for sent is, the, is a Greek term from which we get the English word apostle. So picture yourself here, Jesus saying to you, in the same way that the Father sent me, so I'm now commissioning you, like I'm making you an apostle, not an apostle like Paul. I'm making you a sent one that you yourself are custom made. I mean, what do you do? Are you a grandma? Do you teach third grade uh, reading? Um, are you an architect? What do you do? And picture that life, the life that you presently know as one that's commissioned and that you are custom made and appointed and authorized and assigned to be a part of this great Jesus kingdom movement. So Jesus says, in the same manner in which the Father sent me, in that manner I'm sending you. And then next it says, Jesus took a deep breath. He breathed in, and then he breathed out into them. The Greek, the Greek text actually says he, he breathed into them. And the picture we're meant to get is that as Jesus exhaled onto his first friends, he inflated their life. Like, like think of blowing up a balloon that Jesus breathed into them his very own life, his very own spirit, saying to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now again, I just, I wanna draw you to a, just a moment here of, of some clear intellectual honesty. He did not say receive an aspect of late modern, late 20th century Christianity. He did not say receive a denomination. He did not say receive a movement. He said receive a person. He didn't even say receive gifts and power and authority and fruit, the kind of things that we can say about the Spirit. The accent here is receive this person because it's this person who is the animating aspect of a human life. It's the person who brings the power, the capacity, the ability to live in this Jesus movement the way we might think of, we might think of callings, of specific callings or Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, or as I said, any of the lists that Paul gives us of the gifts of the Spirit, it's the person who brings this. And this is why I want to say to you, I don't think it's enough to just say, well, I'm open to the Spirit. Again, that's a little bit rude. Like, how do you say to God Almighty, the third person of the Holy Trinity, well, I'm sort of open to you as if we think he should be pleased with our open-mindedness. Because you see that sense of I'm open is against the backdrop of what you perceive to be excesses. Once you see that Pentecost is meant to facilitate the spirit of Jesus in the church, 
It's a completely different thing. And so we're not just open to it, but with confidence, we welcome this person. We embrace the person and work of the Spirit. We embrace his life and his leadership. In fact, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, it's the exact same Greek grammar that you have when Jesus takes bread, breaks it, and says to them, take and eat. It's the exact same construct where Jesus says, here, take. And it means to like receive it. Uh, most of you would come to Eucharist week in and week out with your palms, something like this, where you're actively receiving the, the host that's being offered to you or actively receiving the chalice. Well, the same sort of thing is in view here that you were being invited here to actively lay hold of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. One Greek dictionary I read said, it means to accept him with initiative. And that this word take emphasizes the will or the assertiveness of the receiver. So in the same way that we welcome the host, is there a way that you can welcome the spirit? I think this is the reason Jesus puts so much emphasis in the New Testament on faith. Nowhere do we hear Jesus saying, oh, blessed are you, you are healed because of your honest skepticism. Or blessed are you, for the kingdom is revealed to you because of your honest cynicism. No, what Jesus commends over and over and over again is faith. What would it take for you today to have faith in the third person of the Trinity and to invite him and his work into your life and to separate him, the person, from what you might think of as the excesses of others. Again, quoting Peterson, Peterson says that what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to conceive the life of Jesus in us in very much the same way he conceived the life of Jesus in Mary. And Mary, confused, like we might be confused about Pentecostal or charismatic excesses, if, if that's the way you view this, Mary said yes. And being filled with the Spirit is very much like being pregnant. It's not mostly an idea. It's something that you know by experience. And in this case, that we would desire the Spirit to come and to animate and energize and empower our lives. In Luke 11, Jesus put it this way. You know, after that uh, teaching about ask and seek and knock as you're praying, Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying, take, receive. Our posture in this this morning then is to ask, to say yes, to try, to cooperate with the Spirit, to believe, to start, to persevere, again, to ask. And just begin to recognize the Holy Spirit's activity around you and welcome him and embrace his life and his leadership. Like Mary, say yes this morning to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so like I said, I wanted to ask, as you were listening to Todd uh, speak about those texts and the Holy Spirit, uh, curious, what might have jumped out at you? What do you feel like you might take away? 
Sue? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the closeness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit together, what that means in our lives. Yeah, it's great. You gonna say something, Phil? Yeah. Yeah, that idea that Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away now that the Holy Spirit comes, which is Jesus' own spirit, right? Uh, that spirit can be with all people everywhere at all the time, not localized. What were you going to say? I love you too, son. What else? Jean. Yeah, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if that resonated with anyone else, but certainly I tend to associate certain denominations with like, well, those are the ones that really care about the Holy Spirit, right? Or they're really into the Holy Spirit. And what Todd is saying is like, that's a completely inappropriate way to think about the Holy Spirit, right? This is the third person of the Trinity, as though we would like sequester a third person of the Trinity to just those expressions of the church over there and not the universal idea is like, no, we all worship a triune God, for sure. What else? Anything? Well, I hope there's other things that you'll sit with. I wanted to, to mention, too, just briefly. Um, and, and having John 20 in our minds, where Jesus is with his disciples, and he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And Todd asked us to imagine your life as commissioned by God in the empowerments of the Holy Spirit. Not to be a superstar, not to be doing some incredible, you know, gargantuan, headline-worthy things, but just in whatever God has called you to be, wherever God has called, whatever God has called you to do, wherever he's called you to be, whoever he's called you to be, with the idea is that like Jesus is actually commissioned every single one of us to live out lives empowered by the Holy Spirit in those places. And I want to say it's just as true for pastors as it is for teachers and tradesmen and parents and grandparents. Like every single person who desires to follow Jesus will also have to ask this question of to what degree am I actually seeking to align my life to what the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is saying and doing? Or think about for us as a church. This line that Todd said really has always stuck out to me, that the purposes of God in and through the church require a power that matches that intention. And I was just, as I was listening to him again and thinking about this, I was thinking about the simple metaphor of a car. And you could have a car with an engine in it, with all the horsepower in the world, but if you don't have fuel sufficient <laughs> to power that engine, it's not going anywhere, like nowhere. It might look really good and shiny, and you could boast about how much horsepower you've got under the hood, but if there is an intention to that car to go zero to 60 in 1.6 seconds or something like that, like there's a fuel that's required. And 
he's saying the Holy Spirit is that fuel. What God means for us to be and to do as the church, he also says the Holy Spirit is actually my presence and power with you to be and do everything I've called you to be and do as the body of Christ. And so I think about that in terms of um, this moment where we're about to step into some work with fresh expressions. And I want to suggest to you that the most important question uh, for us to be asking of ourselves, submitting before the Lord, will be something like this. What might it mean for us to receive the Holy Spirit anew? As we seek to live as people sent into the world to continue the mission of Jesus and his kingdom. So when we sing these songs that Seth and Katrina prepared for us as we listen to these texts and we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and this is the air I breathe and wanting to be submitted and surrendered. Like here's the great thing about the Holy Spirit is like because the Holy Spirit is God and God is inexhaustible, we always can receive more of the Holy Spirit. There's always more. God is inexhaustible. And so it's never this like, well, I, you know, the Holy Spirit just exists and whatever my relationship with him is right now, that's what it is for eternity. The whole idea is actually that as we walk out a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always wanting to take us further and deeper and to show us more and more the love and heart of God. And this last line, I didn't write this down before, but as I was listening right now, Todd said, the Holy Spirit forms the Jesus life in us. And that is just such a simple and important phrase, that as Christians, the thing that we should desire more than anything else is the Jesus life, <laughs> Christ-likeness. And for us here on this Pentecost Sunday to be reminded feels important that we be reminded it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. Like You can't manufacture it. I can't manufacture it. It's never going to happen by accident. It's the Holy Spirit who forms the Jesus life in us. Let me pray briefly as we transition over into uh, our prayers for the morning. Um, God, I thank you for the testimony of the book of Acts. I thank you that we get to know what it was like, at least in part, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born. And your very presence came to be with your people, to give them the power to live the lives, the mission, the commission that you had laid upon them. And that, that's true for us today. As we think about Jesus' words to his disciples in John 20, that you say to us, just as you said to them then, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So help us, God, to just to know and to receive all that goes into what it means, Jesus, for you to have been sent by God and for us to be sent in that very same way. Amen.